Chapter 66 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rocker, January 2, 2022, Westford, Massachusetts. Consuelo by Georges Sand. Chapter 66. Whatever may have been the cause of Master Reuter's antipathy, he displayed it toward me very harshly, and for a very trifling cause. I happened to have a pair of new scissors, which, like a child as I was, I tried on everything I could lay my hands on. One of my companions, having turned his back toward me, and his long cue, of which he was very vain, dangling across the chalked notes on my slate, a fatal idea came on the instant into my head. Snip went the scissors, and lo, the cue lay on the ground. My master followed all my movements with the eye of a vulture, and before my poor comrade was aware of his loss, I was reprimanded, stamped with infamy, and sent about my business without further ceremony. I left the establishment in the month of November, last year, at seven o'clock in the evening, and found myself in the streets without money or clothes, except the tattered garments on my back. I was in despair, and thought, in seeing myself thus dismissed, that I had been guilty of some dreadful crime. Thereupon I began to weep and cry, when my companion, whose head I had thus dishonored, passed me weeping likewise. Never were so many tears or so much remorse seen before or since for a Prussian cue. I could have thrown myself into his arms at his feet, but I dared not, and hid my shame in the darkness. Yet perhaps the poor lad wept for my disgrace more than his own loss. I spent the night in the streets, and as I was sighing next morning when thinking of the impossibility of procuring a breakfast, I was met by Keller, the barber to the chapel. He had been just dressing Master Reuter, who, in his fury, had talked of nothing but the terrible loss of the queue. The facetious Keller, perceiving my distress, burst into a loud fit of laughter and overwhelmed me with sarcasms. So, so, cried he, as far as he could see me. There goes the scourge of wig-makers, the enemy of all who, like myself, profess to deal with hair. Ho, oh, my little executioner of cues, my little ravager of love-locks! Come hither till I trim your dark curls as a set-off for all the cues that are destined to fall by your hands. I was furious, desperate. I hid my face in my hands, and thinking I was the object of general indignation, was about to fly. The good Keller, however, stopped me, exclaiming with a gentle voice, My poor little fellow, where are you going, with no food, no friends, no clothes, and such a crime on your conscience? Come, I shall have pity on you, especially on account of your sweet voice, which I have so often heard at the cathedral. I have but one apartment for myself and my children on the fifth story, but then I have a garret higher up, which is not occupied, and which is at your service. 
You shall live with me till you get something to do, on the condition, however, that you spare my customers and do not try your fine scissors on my wigs. I followed the generous Keller, my preserver and father. Besides board and lodging, he gave me, poor as he was, a little money to enable me to pursue my studies. I hired an old, worm-eaten harpsichord, and there, with my fuchs and my matheson, I gave myself up without restraint to my ardor for composition. From this moment, I considered myself the favorite of Providence. The six first sonatas of Emmanuel Bach were my delight all that winter, and I think I learned and understood them thoroughly. At the same time, heaven rewarded my zeal and perseverance, permitting me to procure a little occupation by which I managed to live and recompense my dear host. I played the organ every Sunday in the chapel of Count Hogwitz, after having taken, in the morning, the part of first violin in the Church of the Merciful Brethren. Besides, I found two protectors— One is an abbé who writes Italian verses, very beautiful, they say, and approved by Her Majesty the Empress. He's called Metistasio, and he lives in the same house with Keller and myself. I give lessons to a young lady who is his niece. My other protector is His Highness, the Venetian ambassador. Signor Corner, exclaimed Consuelo hastily. Ah, you know him then, replied Hayden. It was Metastasio who introduced me into his house. My humble talents pleased him, and his excellency promised that I should have lessons from Master Porpora, who is at this moment at the baths of Manendorf with Madame Wilhelmina, his excellency's lady. This promise that I should become the pupil of the first professor of singing in the universe filled me with joy. To learn the pure and correct principles of Italian composition, I looked on myself as saved and blessed my stars as if I were already myself a maestro. But His Excellency's good intentions were not so easily realized as I expected, and unless I obtain a more powerful recommendation, I fear I shall never be able even to approach Propora. It is said that the illustrious master is strange, rough, unhappy in his temper, and while he is as attentive, generous, and devoted to some pupils, he is just as capricious to others. Ruder, it seems, is nothing in comparison to Porpora, and I tremble at the very idea of seeing him. He has refused all the proposals of the ambassador, saying that he will take no more pupils. But as I know that the Senor Corner will persist, I still venture hope, as I am determined to put up with every rebuff so that I succeed at last. Your resolution, said Consuelo, is highly praiseworthy. The great master's rude and forbidding manners were not exaggerated. But you have reason to hope, for with patience, submission, talent, and judgment, I promise you that after three or four lessons you will find him the mildest and most conscientious of masters. Perhaps even if your heart and disposition correspond with your understanding, Porpora will prove himself a friend, a just and beneficent father. Oh, you fill me with joy, 
I see that you know him and that you must also know his famous pupil, the new Countess of Rodolstadt, the Porporina. But where have you heard this Porporina spoken of? And what do you expect from her? I expect a letter from her to Popora and her recommendation to him when she comes to Venice, for she will doubtless proceed there after her marriage with the rich lord of Reisenberg. How did you hear of this marriage? By the greatest chance in the world, I must tell you that last month my friend Keller heard that a relation of his at Pilsen had just died and left him a little property. Keller had neither time nor means to undertake the journey and did not venture to determine upon it for fear that the inheritance should not pay the expense of his trip and the loss of his time. I had just received some money for my labor and I offered to go and attend to his interests. I have just been at Pilsen and during the week I passed there, I have had the satisfaction of seeing Keller's inheritance realized. It is little, no doubt, but that little is not to be despised by him, and I carry with me the titles of a small property, which he can sell or let out as he shall judge best. Returning from Pilsen, I found myself yesterday evening in a place called Clatau, where I passed the night. It had been a market day, and the inn was full of people. I was seated near a table where a large fat man was eating, whom they called Dr. Wetzelius and who is the greatest gourmand and the greatest babbler I ever met with. Do you know the news, he said to his neighbors? Count Albert of Rudolstadt, he who is mad, almost a complete maniac, is going to marry his cousin's music mistress. An adventurous, a beggar who has been, they say, an actress in Italy. The old buffoon went on to relate a variety of anecdotes concerning the porporina, all of which tended to prove that she had imposed on and basely deceived her worthy host at Reisenberg. Oh, it is horrible, it is infamous, cried Consuelo almost beside herself. It is a tissue of abominable calumnies and revolting absurdities. Do not believe that I gave credence to it for an instant, returned Joseph Hayden. The face of the old doctor was as stupid as it was wicked. And before they had given him the lie, I was already convinced that he was retailing only slanders and falsehoods. But hardly had he ended his story when five or six young men who were near him took the lady's part and it was thus that I learned the truth. Each praised the beauty, the grace, the modesty, the sense, and the incomparable talent of the porporina. All approved of Count Albert's passion for her, envied his happiness, and admired the old count for having consented to the union. Dr. Wetzelius was treated as an insane dotard, and, as they spoke of the high esteem which Master Porpora felt for a pupil to whom he had consented to give his name, the idea occurred to me of going to Reisenberg, throwing myself at the feet of the future or perhaps the present countess, for they say the marriage was already celebrated, but kept secret for fear of offending the court, relating my history to her and endeavoring to procure from her the favor of becoming the pupil of her illustrious master. Consuelo remained some instants buried in thought. 
The last words of Joseph respecting the court had struck her, but quickly recovering herself. My child, said she, do not go to Reisenberg. You will not find the porporina there. She is not married to the Count of Rudolstadt, and nothing is less certain than this marriage. It has been talked of, it is true, and I believe the betrothed were worthy of each other, but the porporina, although she felt for Count Albert a sincere friendship, a high esteem, and a respect without bounds, thought she ought not to decide lightly upon so serious a matter. She weighed on the one side the injury she might inflict on that illustrious family by causing them to lose the good graces and perhaps the protection of the empress, as well as the esteem of the other nobles and consideration of the whole country, and on the other, the injury she would inflict on herself by renouncing the practice of that divine art which she had passionately studied and embraced with courage. She said to herself that the sacrifice was great on both sides, and that before deciding on it hastily, she ought to consult Porpora and give the young count time to discover if his passions would resist the effects of absence. Therefore, she set out suddenly for Vienna on foot, without a guide, almost without money, but with the hope of thus restoring repose and reason to one who loves her, and of carrying away of all the riches that were offered to her, only the testimony of her conscience and the pride of her profession as an artist. Oh, she is indeed a true artist. She has a powerful mind and a noble soul. If she has acted thus, cried Joseph, fixing his sparkling eyes on Consuelo, and if I am not deceived, it is to her that I speak. It is before her that I kneel. It is she who holds out her hand to you and who offers you her friendship, her advice and support with Porpora. For it appears to me we shall travel together, and if God protects us, as he has hitherto protected us both, as he protects all those who trust only in him, we shall soon be at Vienna and shall take our lessons from the same master. God be praised, cried Hayden, weeping with joy and raising his hands enthusiastically toward heaven. Something whispered to me when I saw you asleep that you were no common being and that my life, my destiny, were in your hands. End of chapter 66